Well, good morning, Moberly. It's so good to see you. I appreciate so much uh, Gio and Paul filling in for me the last couple of Sundays while I was in Israel. And so I thank God I was able to return to Israel after two years. And uh, I think hopefully uh, groups will be going over there pretty soon. And we do need to pray today for Ukraine. I have spent a good bit of time in Ukraine and in Russia and Crimea. I've taught four times at the uh, Odessa Theological Seminary, which is a Baptist seminary in Odessa, Ukraine. And the Ukrainian Baptist Convention is, uh, I think, the largest Baptist convention in Europe. There are lots of Christians there. We know how they are being attacked right now. And so we want to pray for the Ukrainians and I don't know about you, but I'm going to pray against Vladimir Putin, okay? So let's all go together in prayer. Father, I come today thanking you for your sovereignty. You say that a little sparrow doesn't fall except it catches your notice. So we know that all the innocent women and children and civilians who are being killed by the Russians, you care about that. And Lord, we pray that you will protect them and somehow bring them through this. Lord, we're asking that there will be some kind of ceasefire or this invasion will end. And Lord, we pray against the evil man, Vladimir Putin, Lord. Uh, pray against him as he is indiscriminately killing innocent people. Lord, whatever it takes, I pray that you change his heart, change his mind. Do whatever it takes, Lord, that he can stop this madness. And Lord, we as Christians, we want to continue to pray for those in authority over us in our own nation that they will have the wisdom to do what is right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know at a time like this, everybody wants to do something, and sometimes we're a little frustrated, but let me just encourage you to uh, give some money to Samaritan's Purse. Now, that's the uh, organization by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and they are already right now in Ukraine. They have boots on the ground in Ukraine, have a field hospital set up, and they're passing out food, humanitarian aid. So if you'd like for a place to give and know your, your money's going to go to further the cause of Christ as well as help hurting people, SamaritansPurse.org. Well, we're back in the gospel according to Mark, the remarkable power of Jesus. To open your Bibles or access your device to Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. And today we're going to talk about hosting a supper for sinners. You know, just about everybody has a cell phone, a smartphone these days, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times you call somebody and you get a voicemail. I came across uh, some examples of actual voicemails that people have put on their phones, and I thought they were rather humorous. One of them said, hi, John's voicemail is broken. This is his refrigerator. Please speak very slowly, and I'll stick your message to myself with one of those little magnets. Another one said, hello, this is a telepathic thought recording device. After the beep, think about your name, your reason for calling, and a number where I can reach you, and I'll think about returning your call. Y'all are going to have to laugh more. This is not going to make it to the 11 o'clock crowd, okay? So <laughs> help me out here. Another one said, I can't answer my phone now because I have amnesia. And I feel awkward talking to people I don't remember. So please help me by leaving my name and telling me something about myself. Thanks. <laughs> Another one said, you know what I hate about voicemail messages? They go on and on, wasting your time. I mean, all they really need to say is we aren't in, leave a message. That's why I've decided to keep mine simple and short. I pledge to you my 
call her that you will never. I hate those. And my last one is my favorite. It says, no one uses a phone anymore, so text me. Amen. Jesus is putting together a leadership team, and he's already called four of his disciples. And in this message today, he's going to call Matthew the tax collector. So let's read about it here, beginning in verse 13 of Mark chapter 2. You're welcome to stand with me as we honor God through the reading of his word. Jesus went out again beside the sea, this freshwater lake, Lake Knesset, or we call the Sea of Galilee, same body of water. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by, this is passing by Capernaum, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, whom we know as Matthew, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Just two words, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And there's a break between these two verses, probably that evening, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house. That means they were having a meal. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are still in the business every single day of calling people to yourself. And I believe if anyone will really listen for your voice today, you will call us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I can remember the very first time that I was going to be picked to be on a team. I think it was kindergarten and it was kickball. Does anybody remember kickball? Yeah. We were choosing sides couple of older boys and I can just remember for the first time wanting to say hey, choose me choose me choose me choose me you want to you want to be chosen pretty soon because you didn't want to be one of those two or three guys at the end that weren't chosen and somebody said you just play on that team or something so this is what Jesus is doing he's going around choosing his disciples and he chooses a very unusual one in the person of Levi or Matthew let's learn three lessons today first of all we're going to learn the Levi lesson what is the Levi lesson? It is this. Jesus calls people who seem unqualified. Now, Matthew worked for the IRS. That's not the Internal Revenue Service or, or the, even the Israeli Revenue Service because they were an occupied co- country by the Romans. He worked for the IRS, the infernal Roman servitude. He actually was a, somebody who worked for the Romans. That's why he was so hated. He worked for his occupiers to sort of give you a good comparison you remember in world war ii the nazis occupied paris and they set up their vichy government their their puppet government just like putin's trying to do in uh, ukraine and so there were people in france who actually helped the nazis they worked for them they were part of the vichy government and after the, they were liberated, these people were greatly hated. They were, they were hated while they were occupied and when the occupation was over. Don't you remember you saw movies of the women having their heads shaved and the men being shamed in many ways because they hated the French that aided the Germans. Same way here. All of these tax collectors, they were helping their enemies, the Romans, and so they were hated. And so I can just picture it as these guys see Jesus walking up to this tax collector, Matthew, and I can imagine they're saying, 
Oh, yeah, this ought to be good. He's going to give him a piece of his mind. He's going to take him down a notch or two. And then Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And he turned around and walked off. Now, Matthew, immediately, the, the text here makes it clear, immediately he, he got up and followed Jesus. I say that because, you know, when Jesus says, follow me, we should be willing to do it immediately. Uh, I can remember as a kid, one of the churches that I attended, we gave an invitation at the end of the service like most Baptist churches used to do. And, and we would sing, Just As I Am. How many of you know that song? Just As I Am. And we would sing it over and over and all the way through it. And nobody's coming, but our pastor said, we're going to sing it again because I know there's one more person who's going to come. There never was anybody that was going to come. But I sure learned that song, Just As I Am. I can sing every verse of it right now. That's not the way God calls people. It's not like God calls you and says, okay, get your affairs and business, business all settled and taken care of. And then in a couple of weeks or so, you follow me. He says, follow me. And Matthew got up immediately and followed him. But he took something very valuable with him. He took his pen because he was literate. He was able to read and write. And I think Jesus called Matthew because he knew later one day Matthew would write the most expressive and most expansive of the four gospel accounts. Now, now Jesus doesn't always call the equipped. He equips those he calls. So we're going to do a little poll here to see how many of you really qualify to be called by God, okay? So I, I want you to hold your hand up if, if this applies to you. How many of you ever, like, were on the honor roll, dean's list, or you, like you graduated with honors? Hold your hand up, yeah. Ooh, wow, this is a great group. Y'all are so smart. How many of you in athletics ever won a prize or all-state or all-city or anything like that, a trophy? Yeah, all right, great. How many of you ever in the military, you won a medal? Yeah, wow, man, this is a great group. Anybody ever gotten a civic award of any kind? Ever, anybody ever been in who's who, who's not, who's what? Anybody? Well, I have a word for you today. If you raised your hand... God can use you, but he's just going to have to work a little harder with you. Because if you didn't raise your hand, you are a perfect candidate for God to call. Because he doesn't like to call people who have all these skills and abilities. And there's a reason for that. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 1.26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen, look at this, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Now, why does he do this? Keep reading. So that no one may boast in his presence. He doesn't want anybody to say, look at me, look what I can do. So, you know, I love studying religious art. And there's a painting about this by Hendrik Terbruggen. And in this picture, if it's on the screen there, yeah, you see Jesus is calling him. You see the crotchety old boss that's there, maybe a couple of interns. See the money there. And it's like Matthew is saying, who, who, who me? Me? Are you sure you got the right guy? You know, I'm just a tax collector. But yeah, Jesus knew what he was doing. He chooses those who aren't the wise by the world. But I do thank God for every person who has a platform, whether in sports or in celebrity of any kind, and they stand up for Jesus. 
I remember uh, a few months ago when Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy. He said, I want to thank Jesus Christ for bringing me to this point in my life. The very first thing he said, I thank God for all of those. He didn't say there aren't any mighty. He just said there aren't many. He chooses to use people just like us. Uh, I was always involved in FCA in Alabama, even on the state board of directors there, but I moved to Texas in 1991. And a couple of years later, I was invited to be the camp pastor at the national FCA camp at Black Mountain, North Carolina. It was a lot of fun. There were thousands of high school uh, athletes there. Tom Landry was there. Reggie White, the great NFL defensive lineman, was there. Just, it, it was a great week. And on the last night, I remember I preached, and we gave the invitation, and lots of students came down and gave their lives to Christ, student-athletes. And I was talking to one old big lime football player who was a lot bigger than me, and he just was crying. He was so moved. And I said, well, what night did you think you gave your life to Jesus? He said, it was the night that Reggie White spoke. And I said, well, what did Reggie White say that really impressed you? And he said, oh, it wasn't Reggie White. It was that guy that spoke before him, you know, the one in the wheelchair. He couldn't even remember his name, and I couldn't remember his name, but I did remember that night that there was a guy in a wheelchair who had been injured on the football field, college football field, and was a quadriplegic because of that, but he was still giving his testimony for Jesus Christ. And that big old football player that night, he said, if God can do something for that guy, maybe he can do something for me. So see, God didn't use uh, Reggie White. He didn't use me. You know, he didn't use those great, well-known athletes. He used that kid in a wheelchair to bring this person to Christ. God doesn't call the equips, equipped, he equips the call. Why? He doesn't want anybody to boast. Did you hear the story about the woodpecker? Woodpecker flew up to a tree and it was peck, 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 peck. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt came and split that tree in two. Wham! And he was kind of stunned a little bit. Before long, he flew back over to some of the other woodpeckers and said, Hey, look what I just did. God doesn't want people like that. He wants people who will let him equip, let God equip them. All right, we've talked about the Levi lesson. Lesson number two, I call this the party principle. Party principle. Jesus celebrates with people who are outcasts. So it's, it's party time. This is not Wayne's world with Garth and Wayne. This is a, a real party. This is really what we call a supper for sinners because this is what Matthew does. Matthew leaves his tax booth and says, hey, guys, this man Jesus has called me to follow him, and I want all you to meet him. So he invites all of his tax collector friends and other sinners, and there they are. Jesus is talking at the head of the table, and he's, Matthew says, I want you to know the Jesus that I know. And by the way, I want those of you that know the Lord, I want you to consider hosting a supper for sinners, okay? And as you're thinking about it, I wouldn't advise you call it a supper for sinners, okay? <laughs> uh, several years ago, and Tyler, we had an emphasis where for two months we were asking people to have what we called a Matthew meal based on this. Uh, start cultivating some relationships with some neighbors or friends that as far as you know, they're not in church, and then a plan, a meal, and you invite them into your home. Now, I mean, you don't put a four spiritual laws on every plate, and you don't get up and say, let's, let's sing a few praise choruses. And you don't stand on the hearth and give three points in a poem and then sing just as I am. You just love on them. You just show them the love of Jesus. You talk about how important Jesus is to you. 
Feed them some good food. Don't, don't stuff Jesus down their mouth. Stuff some delicious food down their mouth. A lot of people have come to Christ through hospitality. And these are people who, if you said to them, hey, I want you to come to my church. I want you to come to Marbury. It's like, I don't know. Hey, how about coming over to my house for supper? Yeah, okay, that's nice. So think about hosting a supper for sinners. Just don't call it that. Now, we learn something in this story, this setting, that surprises a lot of people. That, that the Christian life is more like a party than it is like a funeral. There should be joy unspeakable, full of glory. And sometimes people that aren't Christians think that Christians have no fun. Where did they out there get the idea that Christians aren't any fun? They got it from you. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I've been around enough to know and looked into a lot of faces as I'm preaching. And I think a lot of the guys in our Baptist churches have, they have created what I call a Baptist holy look. You know what a Baptist holy look is? It's a cross between acid indigestion and a migraine headache. <laughs> I'm so holy. I'm so so. The, like, the more miserable you are, the more spiritual you are. No. I mean, have this supper for sinners to let people know that, yeah, we can laugh. We can have fun. We enjoy being w- with people and just laughing and talking. Now, Jesus hung out <clears throat> with these kind of people. He hung out not with the religious snobs who eventually killed him. He hung out with the common people. And I've said this before, and it made people mad when I said it in Tyler. It'll probably make you mad when I say it in Longview. Uh, I got a few emails over it through the years, so go ahead and email me if you don't like what I'm about to say. But I'm convinced that if Jesus Christ in the flesh came to Longview, Texas today, he wouldn't come to Marbury Baptist Church. He wouldn't come to First Longview or to New Beginnings. You know why? We're the 99 safe sheep. He would have gone somewhere else. Now, I knew all the joints over in Tyler. I said he would have gone, and I mentioned some bar. I, excuse me, I don't know the bars in Longview yet, but it's just... just <laughs> Just choose one, choose one where you would never go, and that's probably where Jesus would go, okay? Because that's the kind of people he hung out with. In fact, we know that because John the Baptist was a little too strict, and so they didn't like him, and and then they didn't like Jesus because he was a little too loose. In fact, we read that right here in John 7, 33. Jesus said, for John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. But the Son of Man, that's Jesus, meaning me, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So I I just wonder how open our churches are to people who aren't just like us, who don't talk like we do, who, who don't dress like we do. The people out there that need Jesus and they don't know where to go to find Jesus. How how welcoming are we? Uh, years ago, I read a book by, called Gospel Medicine by Barbara Taylor, and here's what she wrote. If Jesus were putting together a sinner's table today at the local Denny's, it might include a garbage collector, a homeless person, a migrant farm worker, a teenage crack addict, a motorcycle game member, and an unmarried woman on welfare with five children by three different fathers. Did I miss anyone? As you picture this, don't forget to put Jesus at the head of the table, asking the young mother to hand him a roll, please. All right, now just imagine, okay, keep that thought in your mind. You're at the same Denny's, okay? 
And you're a couple of tables over with some of your people from your connect group. And y'all are having a little Bible study and, you know, talking to little Christian talk, things like we talk about. It. But this rowdy group over here is bothering you. They're messing up your quiet time and your Bible study. And so y'all finally just say, hey, we can't put up with this. These people are too rowdy. We're leaving. And as you're walking by that table, remember in, in this scenario, Jesus is there. Jesus shoves out an empty chair to you. He says, hey, come on and join us. What are you going to do? You say, oh, pastor, if I knew it was Jesus. Of course. Of course. Well, it seems to me that Jesus said, inasmuch as you do it unto one of these, the least of mine, you do it unto me. So plant a supper for sinners, a Matthew meal, and tell people how important Jesus is to you. Here's the third lesson. I call this the doctor's diagnosis. Jesus challenges people who are self-righteous. Self-righteous. Now, Jesus said, you know, I, I didn't come for those that are well. I came for those that are sick. I, I didn't come to preach to the righteous. And I think when he said righteous, he sort of did it tongue-in-cheek. Or he could have said, I didn't come for the righteous. You know why? Because there, were, there are none righteous, right? The Bible says that over and over again. There's none righteous. In fact, the Bible even says that the righteous things we do, the very best acts we ever perform in our lives, compared to the righteousness of God, is like a pile of ugly, dirty, stinking, filthy rags. Okay? And he came for those people who know that they're not righteous, and they need the righteousness of God. So here's what happened. These, these moral policemen, you know, they're, they're not going in for the party. They're standing outside observing. And they asked one of the disciples, hey, hey, why is he eating with all of these terrible sinners? But now Jesus has pretty good hearing, right? I mean, like he can read minds. That's, that's the best. He answers the question. You don't have to ask my disciple. I'll tell you this. I'm a doctor. Dr. Jesus is in, and I'm only here for the sick, not for the self-righteous. You know, we all are sick in one form or another. I'm not talking about physically sick. We all suffer from a disease that is far worse than cancer or ALS or anything. It's the terminal disease of sin. But the good news is Dr. Jesus is in, and Dr. Jesus can totally remove the penalty and the symptoms of that sin sickness. So he came for all of us, and we, we all need him. But he was saying that, I heard what you said, and I, I know you don't expect, expect me to be here, but always expect me to do things you don't expect and to say things you don't expect. This, these are the same guys that Paul talked about last week who were there at the house in Capernaum, you know, where, where they had to tear out the roof and lower the paralyzed guy. What did Jesus say to the man? He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And these were the same ones. The moral police and went, ah, ah, did you hear what he said? Blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus heard that too. And he's like, well, you're right about that, boys. And so that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. I'll say to this guy, pick up your bed and walk. I mean, these, these 
religious mafia. They were after him all the time. And he gave them a hard time, too. He actually used a lot of humor. And I don't know if any of you have ever thought about how humorous Jesus was. But there were times when he employed perfect Jewish humor. And the reason you don't hardly ever laugh at any of it is because we're not from a Jewish culture. Jewish humor uses hyperbole and sensational caricature. The more ridiculous a picture is, the funnier, funnier it is to a Jewish mind. For instance, look at Matthew 23, 24. Jesus said, you blind guides. Now, he said that elsewhere. He said, you're blind and everybody you're leading is blind and you're both going to fall in a ditch. Now, that's kind of harsh, hard humor, but that was, that was Jewish humor. They would have laughed at that. I mean, imagine that. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. <laughs> Y'all didn't get that? Imagine somebody... And they're eating a bowl of soup, and there's a gnat. And he doesn't even know there's a big, huge camel in there. And he's like, That's Jewish humor. Did you hear the one about the gnat and the camel? <laughs> now you have, and you've all proved you're not Jewish. That's good. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent, blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may be also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, these religious snobs, these phonies, and we still have a lot of legalists alive today, they are a lot more concerned about outward appearance than they are inward purity. They're a lot more into rules, rituals, and regulations than they are into a relationship with their Creator. And Jesus said, it's not, not the outside... It's what's on the inside that really counts. G. Campbell Morgan was a great British pastor in the late 1800s. And he, he tells a story about a prostitute in the, in the red light district of London who finds a track. And she reads it and she's interested in Jesus. And so she goes to a church that next Sunday that's in her area. And... She knew that people were supposed to dress up for church, so she wore her silken finery. But trust me, it did not match the attire of the women in the church. And they looked at her and immediately knew who she was and talked about her. Next Sunday, she comes back with, with two children by, fa by fathers that she did not, not even know. Again, they talked about her whispered about her. They couldn't pay attention to anything else. They were all talking about this woman, this prostitute. Third Sunday she goes. The Anglican pastor meets her at the door of the church and says, I'm sorry, ma'am, you cannot come into our church because you are disrupting our congregation. With big tears rolling down her cheeks, she says, well, where can someone like me go to find out more about Jesus? 
And he, had, he didn't have an answer for her. But how do we know the story? Because she found the Salvation Army. She went to the Salvation Army, and they embraced her and brought her in and loved on her. And she became a leader of that camp of the Salvation Army and told that story many times. Folks, that's still happening. I remember the testimony of Iris Blue, a prostitute down on the streets of Houston, and some guys from a church witnessing to her. I heard her stand in our pulpit at Green Acres and say, I, they told me about Jesus. She said, I knelt down a tramp and I stood up a lady. What a great testimony. Is our church open to people like that? We need to always ask ourselves that. Brennan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, one of the most influential books I ever read, says this, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and the weak need who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. Something is radical wrong, radically wrong when the local church rejects a person who is accepted by Jesus. Any church that will not accept that it consists of sinful men and women and exists for them implicitly rejects the gospel of grace. You know, David Wilkerson, who, who wrote The Cross and the Switchblade and later founded Times Square Church, spent a lot of time in East Texas. That's where Teen Challenge was founded. And, he, and he, he still spent a lot of time in East Texas. In fact, in 2011, he was in East Texas when he died in a car wreck, and his funeral was over at Rose Heights Church in Tyler. I heard him tell the story one time of, of a lady who would always come to their outreach programs at Times Square Church where they would do feeding and preaching. Uh, she was a homeless lady named Edith, and she came for all the meals, but when they gave the invitation to give their lives to Christ, Edith never moved. That went on for years. David Wilkerson said one night, they had the feeding, I always fed them first, and then they preached to him. He gave the invitation, and Edith literally came running down the aisle to him. And Edith said, Mr. Wilkerson, Mr. Wilkerson, I'm now ready. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And he said, well, okay, great. But what, what changed your heart? You've been coming for so long. She said, oh, I, I never knew before tonight that my name is in the Bible. And David Wilkerson said he was thinking, now, I've read the Bible quite a few times. I don't remember any person named Edith in the Bible. She said, it's there. You read it tonight. And he opened his Bible to the text he had used. And she pointed to it. She said, it's right there. It's Luke 15, 2 in the King James Version. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. There you go. Edith, 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 my name. I'm happy today to report that Jesus Christ received sinners and eateth with them and David with them and Tom with them. And Melissa with them. Anybody who needs Jesus, he receives you. So what's he calling you to? Calling you to serve him in some way? What's he calling you to? Calling you to join this church and become a member of this congregation? What's he calling you to? Is he calling you to follow Christ in baptism? Any of those decisions that you need to make as you're leaving it, Guest Central, you can talk to someone there. But maybe some of you in this room and watching online... He's calling you to come to him for salvation, for eternal life. And there's no magic prayer that you can pray that does that, but there is a way you can express faith in a prayer 
And if you'd like to pray that prayer, I'd like to lead you all in it. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. If you'd like to receive the gift of eternal life, just pray a simple prayer like this. Dear God, I admit I am a sinner. I will never be good enough to earn access to heaven. I believe you came and died for my sins. I ask you to forgive my sins. Please come into my life and take control of my life. I will live for you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for making my life new. In Jesus' name, amen.